0: It's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each episode, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible films. If you've made a horror movie on your phone or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you make a film with an iconic fight scene that feels like it's super long, but it's really not as long as you remembered? Why, you get the John Carpenter cult classic, They Live! Everybody And welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast. Uh, it's your host here chatting with you and talking about terrible horror movies. And I know what you're going to say right away. Listen, Terrible Terror, They Live is not a bad movie. Why are you even talking about this film on your podcast? And to you I say, have you watched it in a while? It is actually a pretty bad movie. But it does fall into that category of... It's so bad, it's good. I mean, I'm not going to tell you right now what I rated the movie. Of course, that's going to wait to the end, and that's totally biased upon my own opinion anyway. If you love the film and you don't think it's bad, that's up to you. But to me, there are just parts that are interesting i should say and some of it really still works and some of it really holds up but there are other parts where it's just like wow i don't remember this going on for so long or wow why does this feel like this part drags right here it's just a matter of course of opinion uh but and even though at the time it was the number one movie in america Can you believe that Rowdy Roddy Piper was in a movie that was the number one movie at that time? Uh, Which is amazing. I mean, John Carpenter himself... uh, Come on, guys. I mean, yes, he is one of the best, if not the best, horror director that there is. But he has had some turds. I mean, come on, guys. Ghosts of Mars? Vampires? I mean... Come on, there were some really big stinkers in there. But then, you know, he did some of my favorite freaking films. Of course, you know, iconically, Halloween, that everybody remembers him for. But you also got Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, even the 1995 version of Village of the Damned, which a lot of people don't like, but I quite enjoy. Uh, he is probably the most... Well next to Wes Craven, I would say, being one of the most, and George A. Romero as well, uh, put them all together. They are probably the most iconic horror directors of my generation, and in most generation. Uh So, it's weird to see this movie. It is marketed as a horror film, but I don't know if it actually fits that mold. It's kind of like, before, the last episode we talked about, Hell Comes to Frogtown. Yes, we're going back just one episode to another roderick piper movie but really that movie being marked a horror movie it's not really one right just because some of the ideas are weird and some of the costumes are weird and the matter of fact that we're dealing with like frog monsters that kind of puts it into that genre of horror i guess And truly, this is kind of a satirical type of horror film. And it's funny because John Carpenter did write this film. But when you look at the credited writer, it's credited as Frank Armitage. Which he just uses a pseudonym to write the film. So, you know, he knows where he's going. He knows what he's doing with the film. Uh, And it truly, I don't want to say it has horror elements to it. Maybe just because of the whole sci-fi aspect of it or the monster aspect of this film and truly who are the real monsters as you come to c- contemplate while you're watching the film is it the actual alien people or the humans that are selling us out now i know that I, and i don't know why if you haven't there are some of you that probably have not seen this movie and seriously i can understand hell comes to Frogtown, but they live are you fucking kidding me Everybody should see this movie. This is like one of those quintessential movies that people watch. They get together. You have a friend that's seen this. Oh, man, you've never seen They Live? Okay, we're going to put this on the fucking TV right now, and you're going to watch it with me. And whether you hate it or you like it, there are parts of it that, one, you know from other parts of, you know, pop culture. And, two, that... ...are just downright funny, and it's weird when you look at the acting too between Roddy Roddy Piper in this film versus Hell Comes to Frogtown, it definitely is the director that makes a difference, because he's much more subdued in this, as you'll hear in the clips that will play throughout the episode... ...compared to Hell Comes to Frogtown... ...where he's kind of a little more like his wrestling persona... ...and there's times in this where he does that too... ...where he gets to do the more mad, rowdy, rowdy Piper, you know? Uh, But, at the same time... ...he's a much more reserved type of person. It's almost like... ...to put it into a current reference uh, of films... ...you look at Guardians of the Galaxy... ...and you look at Dave Bautista that plays Drax, Right? I imagine that if Dave Bautista was in something else, or as cheesy as Hell Comes to Frogtown, where they just wanted to be a little more uh, overacting, uh, he might not be as entertaining. But, in as Drax, in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, especially Volume 2, and I'm not trying to spoil anything here, but there's a lot more emotion that comes out in that Uh, very straightforward type of character that you maybe didn't experience before uh, in the original film, and you didn't think that he could handle. Now, it's still within the character of Drax, right? But he does that pretty well while still kind of being a straight man. And that's kind of the way that, if you've never seen this before, you kind of got to approach Roddy Roddy Piper in this, right? That He plays it a lot more like a straight man. And that's not to say there aren't some funny things that happen and that he doesn't do some bad acting choices. Uh, But in general, when he's being kind of like that sincere character, his acting really shines out. And of course, you've also got a cast that includes Keith David. And if you don't know who Keith David is, what the fuck is wrong with you? It's fucking Goliath from Gargoyles, man. Come on, you would know that voice from anywhere. He was fucking Spawn on the Spawn animated TV series. He was the best thing about that. You know, I kind of wish that he'd played Spawn in the Spawn movie rather than... Well, I don't know why I always think he's Jaleel White, because that's definitely not Urkel in that <laughs> fucking suit. But uh, I, I I can't remember the actor's name on the top of my head. Uh, but really... I would have loved to have seen him at least when, you know, he put the Spawn mask in Spawn that it would have been Keith David's voice that would come out rather than the actor that actually played him, which, uh, I think it's Michael Jai White, uh, which wasn't that good at all. Uh, yeah, Spawn is probably going to show up sometime on this, uh, podcast, I just don't know when. Maybe for Halloween, if you're good and nice about it. Um. So, without further ado, let's get into They Live. And you start off the film right away, and is he walking from Frogtown to Los Angeles? I could imagine, because L.A. right now, in, at least in this picture, looks like it's a some type of deserted wasteland, because L.A. is not that fucking empty. I mean, not even in 1988, you look at it, and it just kind of looks... I know they don't really mention it being Los Angeles, but... Uh, it's a, fucking L.A., you can tell. And he's walking into town, he literally looks almost like he did in Hell Comes to Frogtown, even though the character is supposedly named John Nada, which they put at the end of the film, uh, he's fucking Sam Hell, okay? He acts like Sam Hell, he looks like Sam Hell, well, because, same fucking actor. Uh, But even the way that he handles him himself is just like Sam Hell. So... Hell now has come to L.A., and he's come to kick some alien ass. He stops off, and he decides that, hey, you know what? I'm new to this town from here, and I need to go get some fucking work. So he hits the unemployment office, and we first get to hear from him.
1: Last place of employment. Denver, Colorado. Worked there for ten years, and things just seemed to dry up. They lost 14 banks in one week. So, um. there's nothing available for you right now.
0: So you see what I mean. There, he's very kind of reserved and very low key. He doesn't have an, any real reason to be so outgoing right away. I mean, he's not the biggest stud in the world. He's just a regular guy looking for work. It seems like Sam Hell has finally decided that he needs to become a working member of society, and not just trying to fuck anything that's wearing furry fucking panties. I don't get it. I still am not getting over those goddamn panties from the fuck. Okay, okay. Settle down. This is a whole different movie. So, he steps outside once he hasn't found work, and he comes upon a preacher That is spouting some really weird shit out in the park. I'm going to warn everybody too. Because the nature of this movie. uh, Some of these clips are going to be about a minute long. uh, Sometimes a little bit more. And sometimes quite a bit less. But the nature of the film. A lot of the stuff that I want to play for you guys. And then want to talk about. Kind of happens back to back. And so I left some of the clips kind of long. And other ones I've left uh, relatively short. And also, there are a lot of long sequences of this film that is just shit happening. And so you have, like other films we've discussed before, segments where you've got audio, then long bouts of whatever is going on, and then you have a lot packed in to just a little bit of time. So that does happen here quite a bit, but a lot of it really comes down to They're talking about one thing, which leads into the next thing, and they're both kind of important uh, things that I want to go over with you guys. Sorry, I should really start doing these PSAs in the beginning of the damn episode, but whatever, fuck it. So he goes outside, and he sees a street preacher uh, talking about something that he kind of thinks is a little wacko. They use their tongues to deceive The venom of snakes is under
2: their lips, and their mouths are full of bitterness and curses, and in their paths nothing but ruin and misery, and the fear of God is not before their eyes. They have taken the hearts and minds of our leaders. They have recruited the rich and the powerful, and they have blinded us to the truth. And our human spirit is corrupted. Why do we worship greed? Because outside the limit of our sight, feeding off us, perched on top of us, from birth to death, are our owners. Our owners. They have us. They control us. They are our masters. Wake up. They're all about you.
0: All around you. So that's Raymond St. Jacques. Uh As the street preacher, and he's probably my third favorite character in this film. I know there was a little bit of a pause in between there, but I had to think about it but, and I know who my second favorite character in this film is, and of course, everybody knows who the first fucking favorite character, and if he's not your first fucking favorite character, then it better be the second guy that I'm thinking about being your first and him being the second, okay, but really, this guy, the street preacher. The, he's not in it very much, but the scenes that he's in, I really enjoy uh, the character uh, and how he delivers everything, especially in a later scene where he catches our good friend Sam Hell here. We see him walk away from the whole preacher situation, kind of contemplating what the preacher said. He kind of has a look on his face like, eh, uh, the guy's kind of crazy. But, of course, you know, that leads more into what's actually going on in the film. Day turns to night, and we see that he's trying to find a place to sleep on the streets and manages to curl himself up uh, in the view of a TV screen. Looking at the screen, we get this really odd show that's kind of going on in the background. Here, I'm going to play it for you. Sometimes
3: when I watch TV, I not being myself, and oh, I'm a star of a series, or I, or I have my own talk show, or I'm on the news, getting out of a limo, going someplace important. All I ever have to do is be famous. And people watch me, and they love me, and I never, never grow old, and I never die.
0: See, now this type of commentary still can happen today, right? So, it's the drive and the need to be famous. And this character's need, or this one TV show, whatever is going on in the background here, uh, that person feels that, you know, she's going to be immortalized forever. Because her memory is going to live on through her fame. Now, we know what kind of happens later on in the film, so it's a very good insight exactly to what we're going to expect out of the film in general in terms of the satire that's going to be set forward to us. But you really have to compare that to stuff that happens today. And how important it is for someone not necessarily to be like a quote-unquote actress or video star, as they might have been called back in the day. Uh, but really to be, you know, nowadays, what is it? YouTube famous? Snapchat famous? Instagram famous? Instagram famous? Uh, famous through Facebook with all the likes. It's kind of a similar thing. It's maybe not as grandiose as as, or maybe you could say unobtainable as it used to be. I mean, it's still really hard to be an actor or an actress that's in major motion pictures, but it's not very hard to be, well, I mean, it still is hard to be, you know, popular or expressive through something like YouTube or podcasting. Uh, maybe I should stop this line of talking, but, uh, anyway, it really isn't like, you know, everybody's kind of looking for that niche, right, of popularity within people, and here, yeah, you can do something like, say, fuck it, let's take this podcast thing that I'm doing, because when I'm long and fucking dead... There might be people that will still listen to this thing and really get into it, and there could be people that just don't give a fucking flying shit about it. And I really don't care which way it goes, but some people, that's what they strive for. And viewing those things on the TV, especially since everybody's kind of glued to a TV at some point in this film or another, I mean, even before we kind of cut away... You see this, uh, Sam Hell here walks by, and he sees this guy that's, like, black and Asian, so he's Blasian, uh, watching TV, and he's just got his mouth agape, staring into it. He should almost just be drooling right then and there on the fucking sidewalk, but of course, he's not. Uh, and even when he's sitting outside, and he's just trying to catch himself from catching a cold at night... He looks up and there's people comfortable in the room, sitting there watching the fucking TV. So it's definitely a message that's being sent out to everybody. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Spoil, spoiler, spoiler. Uh, but it's also you know another subtle hint on you know what's kind of going on with society and in you know, people thinking that fame is the way to be infamous uh, when maybe necessarily that's not the way that you should go. So. Night now becomes day, and Sam is looking for a job. He happens upon a foreman at a construction site. There, he does convince uh, the foreman on the job to give him a job. First, the foreman says, no, this is a union job, and then all of a sudden he looks over to all the illegal, fucking A, man. Really? You're gonna do an illegal migrant worker fucking joke right here? That's a little low, even for you, Mr. Carpenter. Anyway, he sees them, and he's like, well, what about them? They're obviously not Union. They don't fucking speak English. This is America. They need to make sure they speak fucking English. Uh, so, he finally does get a job, and then hot damn, do we get the sexiest scene in this movie. I mean, uh, we get to see him, like, work on the job without his shirt, and it's fucking I mean, no, it's, uh, it's just, you know... Roddy Piper, you've seen him wrestle all the time. He wrestles with his shirt off all the fucking time. Remember that one time he took down fucking Hulk Hogan and he beat up the fucking Macho Man and then they kicked his ass later on? Remember when he used to have that show, Piper's Pit, where he'd go ahead and he'd interview all those people? I mean, he never did it with his shirt off there, but... At least when he wrestled, right, he fucking had his shirt off. And man, was he's a fucking hunk. And a- I mean, okay, okay, fucking Hell Comes to Frogtown as fuck. Fucking ruin me, with him being the object of my—I mean, uh, with him being uh, such a sex symbol in in the '80s. So of course there has to be the obligatory "Let's watch him without his shirt" uh, scene and work in the construction. That's where we get to meet Goliath. I mean Keith David. I mean Frank, uh, and he introduces himself over there to Roddy Roddy Piper, or should I say Sam Hell, and. He tells him that there's a place if he wants to get something to eat and wants to get some shelter that he could. Sam here kind of treats him like a dick and Frank just goes ahead and walks off. As he starts walking away to wherever he's going Sam follows him along and then at the point he stops he turns around at Sam and looks at him and says
4: I don't like nobody following me unless I know why.
1: Well I don't join up with anybody. I see where he's going.
0: Oh, look, you guys are fast fucking friends already. I can't believe that you guys are so cool with each other after just this time. Really? I don't want anybody following me around, even though I said, hey, if you want to go get something to eat and you want some place to stay, come and follow me. But I don't like people following around. And then, you know, Sam over here, he was just like, Oh, well, I don't want to follow anybody unless I know where they're going. Even though before, I told you no. And then they're just, just like it off, and he brings them to homeless shantytown somewhere in fucking L.A. Now, hold on for a second. This really can't be fucking California, right? I know it's L.A., but this really can't be L.A. This can't be this place. California's super cool to the homeless. Ain't you ever heard that song? You know, the one that was done by Tupac, California. Super cool to the homeless. Oh, wait. That was fucking South Park. That was a fucking joke. That's right, we're pretty big fucking dicks to the homeless around here. So, yeah, go live in your fucking shantytown. Mr. Oh, I have built this some type of village over in L.A. And nobody's torn it apart just yet. Really? I mean... It's not fucking Berkeley, okay? Berkeley will fucking welcome you with open arms over here. You can go and you can fucking just sleep wherever the hell you want. Hell, I think you have more rights than most of the people that live in the fucking city. But in L.A., they're going to beat the living shit out of you, okay? So here we are in this giant shanty town that Frank introduces Sam to.
4: Let get a chance to meet some of the folks. This here's Gilbert. Anything you need, he knows where to find it.
3: Hi. Howdy. You got that pack, tools. Yes, sir. Well, if you can use them, we can use you. The shower's caving in over there. Let's
0: Okay, I've got to mention it now before I forget about it later, or I rant about it at the very end of it. Do you notice something in the background that constantly is going on, and it sounds like it's the same fucking thing all the time? Yeah. You know what that fucking is? It's the fucking music of this movie. Okay? Every time there's dialogue, a lot of the times there's no background music that goes on. You don't hear anything else, you hear them talk, maybe you hear like construction stuff or maybe a little bit of uh you know transmission or something that's going out, but then whenever they stop it goes back to bum bum boom 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 boom. Boom, boom, or some fucking variation of it. Like seriously, you have one song in this entire fucking movie, and that's it. Boom, 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 t-t-t-t-t-t-t. boom, 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 and uh, as many times as I try to take it out of the clips, it still shows the fuck back up. I'm not just selecting sections that have the fucking music. This is the fucking music. You know when the music changes? It changes a little bit towards the end, and then it changes during the ending credits. It's actually something fucking different. But for the most part, you get the same fucking boom-boom-boom-boom-boom-boom-boom-boom-boom. And it's fucking annoying. Uh, it's not terrible when you first hear it because it's in the fucking intro of the movie. Okay, maybe it'll go away. And then as I went through it, and you don't notice it that much, to be honest with you, okay? But you know when you do notice it? When you keep having to grab fucking clips... And every time you do grab a fucking clip, there it is at the end or there it is at the fucking beginning. And you've heard it 50 fucking times because you've gone through this movie like four times after you've already watched it once or twice to make sure you have all the notes you need to do this fucking podcast. Okay. Sorry. Need to settle down. Music shouldn't piss me off that much i mean at least he's kind of got a theme it's better than what fucking sam hell got in hell comes to Frogtown. we all know he deserved his own fa- okay okay not gonna go off on that either let's continue with they live so he shows him around a little more and then you get to learn a little bit about frank's backstory and how he has a wife and kids
4: i got a wife and two kids back in detroit Haven't seen him in six months. Steel mills were laying people off left and right. They finally went under. We gave the steel companies a break when they needed it. Know what they gave themselves? Raises. The golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rule. they close one more factory, we should take a sledge to one of their fancy fucking foreign cars.
1: You know, you
4: ought to have a little more patience with life. Yeah, well, I'm all out. The whole deal is like some kind of crazy game. They put you at the starting line. The name of the game is Make It Through Life. Only everyone's out for themselves and looking to do you in at the same time. Okay, man, here we are. Here we are. Now, you do what you can. But remember, I'm gonna do my best to blow your ass
0: away. Okay, so first there is about to be the fakest fucking background that you've ever seen in the film. I mean, I know there's green screen and there's green screen when you can notice it and then there's green screen when it looks like it was just some type of painted backdrop that was set back there but you're obvious that it was green screen and that's just a picture that got put in its place looking upon the city of L.A. Second... There is a lot of foreshadowing of what is going on right here within that speech of Frank. Uh it it's very good. It's a very again, this is a very blue-collar versus the elite type of film, right? These guys, they're hardworking, they've done everything that they can, yet they're still scraping by on the bottom. He's got a wife and two kids, which you're going to learn about almost every time you fucking see Frank in the fucking film. I am dead fucking serious. Almost every time that he shows up, somehow he has to mention that he's got a wife and two kids. Okay, but you're going to learn about that right here, right now. And that he's moved from Detroit so that he could work in L.A. to get money for his wife and kids by living in a shanty town and n- does he have a way to send money back to everybody? I don't know. I mean, this is the 80s, so I guess there's still Western Union or something, but doesn't that like charge you or- an you can get like I don't know how that fucking shit works, but let's work a shitty construction job in LA so that way you can send money back to your family. I guess. I don't really know how that Western Union bullshit works. So, well, maybe even Frank, he's kind of like, he could just be a homeless guy that believes he has a wife and kids, and he's really just kind of crazy and homeless and lives down there and doesn't really do anything about it. But I don't really know. It could be anything, right? Everything could be a lie, everything could be true, but honestly, again, like I said, there's a lot of foreshadowing of what's actually going on in this film within that little bit of dialogue from Frank. Of course, Frank turns to Sam here and asks him what he believes in.
1: So how are you going to make it? I deliver a hard day's work for the money. I just want the chance. It'll come. I believe in America. I follow the rules. Everybody's got their own hard times these days.
0: Which, again, this actually ends up making no sense when things go through. Because he fucking flips on a dime. He's kind of seen here like a goody-goody two-shoes. I guess, well, we'll get to it when that time happens, right? But, of course, he believes in America. And since he believes in it, everybody's going to get their chance. Uh, we go and fade more into night. And we kind of walk around the shanty town with Sam here. And he walks by a group of uh, the transients with one character named the Drifter. And I wish they would have really given him a name considering what's going on with him. But he's there with his buddy and they're watching TV when suddenly the TV is taken over by a mysterious signal.
1: Well, if you're ready for beautiful, natural looking, easy to apply nails, pre-colored in seven
0: luscious hues, just...
3: Our impulses are being redirected. We are living in an artificially induced state of consciousness that resembles sleep.
4: Oh, goddamn hacker, that second time night that asshole's was cut in.
3: The movement was begun eight months ago by a small group of scientists who discovered, quite by accident, these signals being sent through town.
2: He's giving me a headache. Yeah, tell me about it. It took the hackers months to figure out how to do this.
3: The poor and the underclass are growing. Racial justice and human rights are non-existent. They have created a repressive society, and we are their unwitting accomplices. Their intention to rule rests with the annihilation of consciousness. We have been lulled into a trance. They have made us indifferent to ourselves, to others. We are focused only on our own game. We have... Please understand, they are safe as long as they are not discovered. That is their primary method of survival, to keep us
0: asleep keep us selfish keep us sedated and pulling the water out of the sand like sponge blow it out your water ass out of so what you don't get to see in this part because you're listening to it of course on the audio is the preacher is in the background he's mouthing everything that's being said on the tv And here we also kind of learn that he's blind. Now, of course, you could have kind of told that from the beginning when you first saw him, but he doesn't really look like he's a blind preacher. And it sucks because here he's more or less doing the whole squinty thing rather than having his eyes open like a lot of blind people would do. Uh, so in the beginning, you kind of just think that he's more or less talking, because most of his head's cut off, too, in the first couple scenes. But here, you can actually, like, see him with his eyes closed, kind of mouthing everything, and you kind of believe, oh, okay, he's blind. Um, and, uh, Piper here, he realizes what is going on with the preacher, and he thinks it's kind of weird. He sees Gilbert go over to a church across the street, and he watches it, as the lights stay on for quite a long period of time. We wake up in the morning, and he's looking over the town, and he begins to approach, not necessarily get close to the church, but get in the vicinity of it, where he sees Gilbert out there, and he asks, hey, what was kind of going on last night? When he does, following that, the TV once again is taken over by the mysterious signal. Choir practice went a little late last night, didn't it? Ah, the church uh, lets us use the kitchen
3: four in the morning. Hey, we're taking care of a lot of people here. They are dismantling the sleeping middle class. More and more people are becoming poor. We are their cattle. We are being bred for slavery. The revolution...
0: Not again. We
3: cannot break their signal. Our transmitter is not powerful enough. The signal must be shut off at the source. We have... Daddy, I have a headache. Me
0: too, honey. So it seems like the signal is having some sort of effect on the people that are around there. Uh, Piper goes ahead and follows Gilbert because Gilbert goes back over to the church and he goes inside. He... Kind of wanders around and you see a bunch of things on the table. Aw, shit. They're making fucking meth in here, aren't they? Go get them, Sam. Send them to hell. Uh, No, actually, he finds out that a lot of the things are being faked, and the choir that you hear coming from the outside is actually being pumped in through speakers. And there's a couple people arguing in the background about some type of glasses that they want to produce to wake up the minds of people, because the signal just isn't strong enough. And even though they are able to blast their message, it can't reach very far, because there's another bigger signal that is blocking them out from whomever these mystery people are. Sam here. He gets uh, a little startled, and he finds a well. He accidentally falls into a hidden part of the wall where there's a bunch of boxes. He manages to place the cover back onto the wall, but when he turns around, he's caught by the priest.
1: Just leaving, you know. Your door was open. Just wanted to close it. Didn't want no one breaking in. Neighborhood watch. Yeah. No, let me touch your face. Yeah. Mm-hmm, That's fine. Good. Now your hands. Yes, Father. You're, yeah, you're a working man. Yes, sir.
2: Here. It's the revolution. Let me show you.
1: I gotta be going right now. Maybe some other time, huh? Huh?
2: This world may have blinded me, but the Lord has let me see. You'll be back. You'll be back!
0: He goes back outside and goes by where the drifters are, and you overhear... The main drifter guy talking about some blue stuff, see I knew it was fucking meth, that's fucking with people up in the north and causing them to have very big fits of violence. Which is never really referred to, again, throughout the whole movie. Other than if it's a nod to something else like, say, The Thing, which would be honestly kind of cool, uh, but I don't think that that's necessarily there. Uh So they talk uh, And he takes over uh, Well he manages to get a pair of binoculars For some like teenage kid There and keeps a close eye Over the church Frank approaches him and wonders Hey what the hell is going on What's happening
1: What's inside there Wow All kinds of cardboard boxes Some kind of lab set What do you mean There's no singing It's a tape recorder
4: Leave it alone, man. It ain't none of my business. Ain't none of yours.
1: Yeah, but our boy Gilbert's in there helping him.
4: I got a job now, and I plan on keeping it. I'm walking a white line all the time. I don't bother nobody. Nobody bothers me. You better start doing the same.
0: So he basically ditches work from now on. Sam does and goes out to watches the fucking house all through the day and into the night. All of a sudden, there's a lot of commotion that goes around, and you see a lot of people start to run out of the, that house and jump into cars and drive away. A helicopter is also patrolling up ahead, and... It's weird because it looks like they're running away from these people, yet the helicopter's not doing fucking shit. It's just hovering there. Meanwhile, everybody's fucking panicking. They're running whatever which way, and they're getting the cars, and fuck, I know, like, the L.A. police, when there's car chases sometimes, can seem really fucking useless. Like, they never really try to stop the guy. All you really, you know, rely on is the helicopter, right? Well, even the copter here isn't like shining down its light on anybody. It's not trying to follow the people that are fucking running away. All it's doing is hovering there while there's a giant fucking bulldozer coming. Where the fuck did that thing come? Oh, hey, they're not super cool to the homeless because they're fucking bulldozing down the shanty town and destroying everything left and right. There's more people that are running away from the church and of course Sam here he tries to hightail it the hell out of there. He manages to get away and he turns around the corner to see the poor priest and what I originally believed to be the guy from the video but I'm not quite sure even though they look kind of similar but really they're getting the living shit beat out of them.
3: Leave us alone! We know you! I know you! God, you, you I quit it, don't hurt me, you're in
2: the air! I'm in 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 the air!
3: I'm in the air! 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 I'm in Stop it! Stop it stop. i am in oh. you are! i am in the air i help me. i help me, <laughs> so i walk in the
1: battle i will fear no evil. i run and i i
0: now i know what you're saying terrible terror why did you play all that clip when a lot of it was just them getting beaten up because to me uh it was fucking funny to be honest with you. help me jesus help me oh help me <laughs> like being the shit out of a blind priest i'm sorry to me the scene was really fucking pre- we know who you are we know who you okay okay i don't know who you i don't know who you are i don't know who you are and then you know basically that's the last we ever see of either of those two characters uh, Sam, he's able to help the kid that gave him the binoculars that allowed him to not go to work and not make any money, but yet spy on these guys all day, and takes him over into a crack house where there's something about being on drugs, trying to shows you the real reality of what's, or helps you cope with the reality that you really exist in. Some shit like that. I don't remember. Uh, And then we get to probably the most iconic scenes of the film. See, Sam, he goes back over to the church after everything is cleared. The shanty town has been basically completely destroyed. And uh, goes into the church and breaks open that one part of the wall where all the boxes were being held. And he takes out one of the boxes and then we go into downtown. When we go into town town in, town in the iconic alley, which you'll know more about later, uh, but if you've seen this movie, you know what the alley means. Uh, he gets the glass, well, opens the the box and finds there's a bunch of sunglasses. And he kind of has a face like, what the fuck? What the, Were they running some type of like counterfeit Ray-Ban operation or some shit maybe there's some counterfeit jeans in the fucking garage of the damn place too hell maybe there's like fake Giorgio Armani like suits in there too who knows what the fuck they were doing and maybe that's why they're being raided well he takes the sunglasses well he takes one pair with him and decides to go out on town and he puts them on and then Everything fucking changes. And this is probably the one thing that if you've never ever seen this film, you have seen these images everywhere. He puts on the glasses and he looks at the advertisements that are around and they change. They change to words like obey or marry and procreate. Or when he looks at money, it says, this is your God. And the other big thing is that when he looks at people on the street, some people are normal, and some people are these weird, like, skull things. Everything changes from the uh, magazines and images you see to a stop sign bro- broadcasting this signal. Sweet. Now, one of the things I did forget to talk about early when when Sam went into the church was on the wall, he saw uh, basically written out said, they live, we sleep. And now you get the traffic lights with, they're not just traffic lights. They're just, and they're randomly blinking too, which is weird because you would think if in the other world, I guess I'm going to call it, or the real world, or is this the fucking Matrix? Is this what the Matrix fucking ripped off? I mean, come on. You're asleep, and really, you're being used for something else, and, and the world's not what it seems, and there's one guy that puts on sunglasses, but this one, he happens to wear a fannel, and that one, he happens to wear a fucking leather BDSM outfit. I, I mean, come on. Really? Like, this is the exact same thing. Honestly, except for this is aliens that look like weird skull fucked things or, or like Mexican skull candy. Whereas over there it's fucking robots and it's a lot more money to do some of the effects though. Some of the effects and this are kind of cool too. Like the floating thing that you're going to see later, but honestly, it's the same fucking idea, right? Everybody's kind of just asleep and in the haze and there aren't people that know about it. And those people, uh, are either alien or they're complacent to what's going on. I mean, there's so much that I want to talk about and go on about right now, but we really have to leave those type of discussions to later on in the podcast because it's it goes along with the story and what you see in the revelations that you get. And when you've seen it, you want to talk about it. You want to go through, and I want to tell you everything right now, but we've basically hit the middle of the fucking movie. So we got a little ways to go. So he sees everything as it is out there and what it really is to everybody there. And when he goes to the store, we see how the regular dialogue that happens in the store is kind of weirdly overlaid with the creepiness of these weird creatures. Did
3: Bob make you go to John
0: and Mary Ellen's?
3: Last night. I was shocked. She served blue corn tortillas. <laughs> it's so dated. <laughs> so depressed i don't know what to do hey go for it man it's easy for you to say you got the promotion look it'll come all right just don't worry about it the feeling is definitely there it's a new morning in america fresh vital the old cynicism is gone we have faith in our leaders we're optimistic as to what becomes of it all it really boils down to our ability to accept we don't need pessimism. There are no limits.
1: It figures would be something like this.
0: See, most of the shoppers that they focus on within that dialogue... First, you have the two ladies, and they're both those weird fucking alien things. Then you go over, and it's actually a human and the alien thing talking with each other. And he's talking with him like he's a regular fucking person. He's just like, oh, don't worry, you'll get what you want. But the other guy's like, well, you got the promotion. And he probably got the promotion because he's a fucking illegal alien, okay? And then when he looks up at the TV screen... You have the probably the most iconic image uh, in this film, other than the most iconic line in this film that we're going to be coming up to really shortly. But it's the politician on the, the video screen with the word obey behind him. And that's what he's seeing. Oh, it figures. It's just crazy that at this moment, I came to a big revelation with this. These guys in the store they're fucking Whole Foods shoppers, okay, they're, well, that's what we have now with all this, like, you have to be super healthy crap, and I know you need to be super healthy, don't, Believe me, I know that you need to work on your diet and all that bullshit exercise. But some of this crap that you have in there that didn't exist before, that all of a sudden it's become the big fucking craze of things. It's exactly like the shopper in the store. Because everybody in this place is like decked out rich. Except for Roddy Piper. And of course he gets bumped into one of those rich bitches. And we get some of those great one-liners that show up in this film. All right.
3: Oh. A Excuse me. Just survive.
1: You know, you succeed. look like your head fell on the cheese dip back in 1957. Oh. Oh. You, you're okay. This one, real fucking ugly. Oh. You see, I take these glasses off. She looks like a regular person, doesn't she? Huh?
3: Put them back on. Formaldehyde face. That's
1: what That's we got. That's enough out of you. <laughs> Get out of there. I call the cops. Call the cops. You know what you need? You need a Brazilian plastic
3: surgeon. I've got one that can see.
0: So, of course, this brings or forces him out of the store and it brings more attention to him from the weird looking people that are in the store. Now, when he looks at these people, and and honestly, because we're only viewing life right now. Through the black and white tinge of the glasses. And and that's kind of another thing. Because there's something that bothers me later. But we'll, again, I have to talk about it at that point. Because it's integral to what's going on. I could literally sit and like just jump around the plot of this movie constantly. But I want to try to keep myself uh, on track for the rest of this film. But... The The black and white world is the world where everything's clear, whereas the world that's in color, it's completely distorted to everything that is around you, right? And everybody that has some wealth, so far, we've seen are actually the weird alien creatures, whereas the people that look like they're kind of normal or towards the poor end of the spectrum when you have the glasses on, they are the normal human beings. Hence the workers and the rich so he runs out of the store and he just keeps looking around and he sees more things and then he sees a lady looking in the window makes a one-liner at her expense then gets pulled off the screen by a pair of cops
1: that's like pouring perfume on a pig
2: all right suppose we settle down that's far enough
1: Where'd you get those glasses? Tooth feather. I'll bet. You got them. Make yourself shaving this morning. You look as shitty to us as we do to you. Impossible. It would be easier if we don't have to
2: splatter your brains. Just take it easy. Hey, you stumbled onto something here. Maybe we can all benefit from this slight misunderstanding. Now let's go someplace quiet so we can talk this over.
0: That's when the cop reaches over and tries to grab Sam here, and then he shows him his sweet fucking wrestling moves by clotheslining the ever-loving shit out of him, taking his gun, and killing both of these guys. Uh, this is when it's kind of the bad Roddy Piper. I mean, he does deliver these one-liners well, but at the same time, it's a little overdone. Where you have the more subdued parts of him, where I really like the acting that he does. But here, as funny as it is, it really feels more like his wrestling persona than it does feel like him actually, say, doing those parts and those lines genuinely. Uh... Now, we get to probably the most iconic line of the entire goddamn movie. Okay, it is the line of genius, the line that's been used by Duke Nukem, uh, and it is the bubblegum scene. Now, honestly, I kind of like the way that Duke says it a little better because he doesn't say bubblegum. But, of course, this is the iconic scene, so you've got to respect the original where it came from. So he busts inside of a bank, he manages to take the guns from the cops, and then when he goes inside, he declares this statement, then goes on a shooting spree.
1: I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum.
0: So he starts shooting everything that is an alien. He doesn't kill anybody that's an actual human, uh, and one of them starts talking in the co- uh, corner and basically uh, outs him uh, where his location is. He tries to shoot him, but he's like talking to his wrist, similar to what the lady was earlier, the old formaldehyde face. But instead of just talking into it, he hits another little button and then he disappears completely before Sam here can kill him. Sam runs away, he manages to kill this awesomely animated flying searcher thing, uh, and then we get to meet one of the most useless fucking characters in the entire movie. Okay, if Rowdy's my first favorite, Frank and uh, Keith David, I should say, is my second favorite, and you can swap those two, uh, And The Preacher is my third favorite. This is the person that shouldn't even be a fucking movie, because I absolutely hate the fucking character of Holly. She is completely worthless, and she's got creepy fucking eyes, man. Those are way too blue. You know she's evil by just looking at her fucking eyes right here. And of course, the only reason that she's even in this role, or has this role in this film, is to be the getaway for fucking Sam here, right? He gets behind her, forces her in the car, and forces her to drive him over to her place. It's really weird, but it does give the ability to listen to him talk to, to Holly here and go from being quiet to being fucking crazy.
1: Look, I don't know what you want. I oh, just quiet. <laughs> woo. It's like a drug. Wearing these glasses makes you high, but oh, you come down hard. Look, um, things turned out a little sour for me today. You're not the only one. Yeah, I'm sorry. But I needed you to get away. No.
2: You have two guns. You're not sorry. You're in charge.
1: Look, lady, we're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. They're all around us and we never knew it. You can only see them with these special glasses. I swear to you, we're being controlled by these things. I don't know what they are or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. All right.
2: I'll do whatever you want. Whenever you want. Just don't hurt me. Please.
1: Listen to what I'm saying to you. Okay. You're fighting the forces of evil.
2: That none of us can see without sunglasses.
1: Take a look.
2: If you want me to look through your sunglasses, I'll look through your sunglasses. If I don't see what you see, I'm going to see it anyway.
0: So you see he kind of goes from, oh man, I'm just really tired of it, to super loud, but I'm going to be, oh, I'm crazy. And the face when she says that on the beginning of it, it's like, well, when you say it like that, You make me look crazy. But of course, we know that he's not crazy. And she, but she really doesn't know. And honestly, I like the last line that she says there. That if I don't see what you see, I'm just going to tell you that I see it. Right? Because you're fucking nuts. And I just want to make sure that I fucking live. So, she goes around. They kind of talk a little more. And, uh... You know, he tries to be very comforting with her. He also tries to explain more about the glasses, but he wants to have a little heartfelt talk with her after he lets her go over and get something to drink.
1: So your name's Holly, right? Holly Thompson. It's yeah, a pretty name. So what do you do?
4: Assistant Program Director, Cable 54.
1: A TV station? Yes. They're sending some kind of signals on TV sets.
0: Then she pushes him out the fucking window. She whacks him in the back of the head with her glass of wine. Not even a bottle or anything like that. The fucking glass she was drinking out of. She is fucking strong. And she's strong enough to push him out the window to where it completely crashes. Either that, she's got the worst fucking contractor in the world. And that window's a piece of shit. And she really needs to get her money back or go find that guy and fucking sue him. But either or, she's either fucked or she's very strong. She manages to get him out of the house and cause him to go tumbling down the hill. Now, the cops are kind of in the distance because she's a bitch and she's calling the cops. But if I were him, I would totally lose that flannel because everybody knows that you're wearing blue flannel, dude. But of course, that's meant to symbolize that you're a blue collar worker. Hody hum, hody hum, hody hum. Uh, He manages to get out of there alive, and he flees to the only person that he knows can help him. And that's Frank, where he surprises him at the construction site.
4: Frank. Don't let nobody see you.
1: I've had a rough couple of days.
4: I don't want nothing to do with you. How many people did you kill?
1: Not people.
4: You crazy son of a bitch! I gotta show you something. No, you ain't showing me nothing! I got a wife and kids, so leave me alone! Get out of here!
0: So, Sam does walk away from the situation, and he realizes he doesn't have the glasses anymore that he had when he went to Holly's. Uh, There was a small short scene where she picks up the glasses and it kind of fades away. It's, uh foreshadowing i guess but honestly she's fucking useless so i don't really like talking about her fucking character uh he goes back to the alleyway where he had dumped the box and he notices that there's nothing there He also sees that there's a dump truck that has picked up everything from the alley. So when the dump truck guy goes and tries to argue with somebody, he goes in the back of the truck and actually gets the glasses. There's some argument where I guess he ends up, the dump truck guy, dumps all the garbage in the place, and we get a kind of a laughable scene where he's dumped out of the back of the dump truck. He gets the glasses, and of course, somebody shows up, and we're almost at the point for the second most iconic scene in the entire movie.
4: Yo, one week's pay. It's the best I could do. Wait! Hey! You better find yourself someplace to hide and keep praying nobody ever finds you. Try these on. Look, you crazy mother. Put these on. Hey! Stay away from me. I'm
1: telling you, you dumb son of a (laughs) bitch! trying to save you and your family's life
2: you couldn't even save your own
1: (laughs) i'm giving you a choice either put on these glasses or start eating that trash can
0: so now you get the infamous fight scene of the movie right this last clip is basically where the fight scene starts. And then I have the clip for where the fight scene ends. Now, growing up and watching this film, this part takes the longest. It is still a long fucking fight scene of Sam trying to get the glasses on top of Frank's face. It is over five minutes long. It's about. Maybe it's somewhere close to five. It's definitely not shorter than it. Because it starts at about 56 minutes in. And it ends at about a minute and one minute uh, afterwards. So you have that whole scene that happens. And it's just them basically beating the shit out of each other. Two characters... That kind of like each other, that were best buds, but because he went and he killed some aliens that look like humans, and nobody believes that they're actually aliens, though we know as an audience, but Frank doesn't know, so I can understand why he might be a little bit upset and not really want to be friends with Sam here anymore. So the epic fight then begins, and they're basically just beating the shit out of each other back and forth, back and forth. Keith Davidson, he lands some really fucking ridiculously uh, horrible cheap shots on poor fucking Sam, man. He knees him in the groin like three times. And while this scene is great, you have to remember that in Cripple Fight, the Cripple Fight episode of South Park, you get the exact recreation of this fight. And it's one of the most fantastic things That you, if you have not seen it, between Jimmy and Timmy, uh, you really do need to see that little clip. You need to watch, I believe it's on YouTube. You can actually find them side by side. Because they recreated it almost exact frame for frame for what they could do with the animation. For what they did in the scene. It's absolutely gorgeous and it's hilarious then. And it's hilarious here too. Because you just, you get those stops and he's almost like... Buffalo Bill from Silence on the Lambs and instead of fucking want to put lotion on his skin, he wants to put the glasses on his face or else he's going to give him the hose again. So y- you don't know what's... like The motivation for him to do it, I guess I understand. But at the same time, the way that he goes about it, you shouldn't really beat the shit out of your, your newly found friend in the city that you absolutely don't know anybody at. So at the end of the big fight, of course, Sam does come out on top and he's able to put the glasses on the head of Frank so that he can see what the real world looks like. Look!
1: Look at him! They're everywhere! I don't know. Maybe they can see. Alley fifth and spring. Now hold on. You ain't the first son of a bitch to wake up out of their dream. What's that? Mother, life's a bitch. She's back in heat.
0: Oh, how he delivers these one-liners is fucking fantastic. He either delivers them really over the top, or he delivers them so subdued like he did right there. So even though they are spotted by a couple of people and they're like, oh, maybe they can see us... Uh, they walk down the street with the sunglasses on and end up going into a hotel where I guess Frank ends up footing the bill because, well, he lost the fight, right? So I guess you, you go down like a bitch like that, you should have to pay for the fucking hotel room that both of you are going to be staying in. Uh, Sam, he explains over to Frank that you can't wear those glasses for very long or else it's going to affect you pretty bad.
1: Don't wear them glasses too long. It starts to feel like a knife turning in your skull.
4: How long have they been there? Who knows? What are they? Where do they come from? Well, they ain't from Cleveland. Look, man, I don't need that kind of shit. What are we going to do? We're going to wait. Wait? Wait for what?
0: You know, that really answers my fucking question. Well, when you get some kind of master plan, you let me know, huh? Of course, neither of them know exactly what's going on. And, you know, Sam's initial plan was to go off and fucking kill a bunch of them. But, of course, that didn't work through. And now he's basically on the run from everybody that's out there that knows that he has the ability to see these people. So they continue the night together. No, not in that way. But spending the night in the hotel room. And, honestly, you probably get one of the best performances out of Roddy Ryan Piper right here in this part of the film where we get to learn a little more about his backstory and being daddy's little boy a long time ago
1: things were different man my old daddy took me down to the river kicked my ass told me about the power and the glory I was saved he changed when I was little turned me started tearing so I ran away when I was 13 tried to cut me once big old razor plate held it up against my throat I said daddy please just kept moving back and forth you sawn down a little tree. Maybe they've always
4: been with us. Those things out there. Maybe they love it. Seeing us hate each other. Watching us kill each other off. Feeding on our own cold fucking hearts.
1: I got news for him. Gonna be how to pay
0: because i ain 't daddy 's little boy no more, so we get the same music that we 've been hearing for most of the rest of the film, starting up again, and it goes to the next day. We see Frank coming back into the hotel, and guess what he runs into Gilbert. Gilbert goes back to the room and explains to them that hey there 's a meeting going on tonight of the people that can that knows what 's going on, basically, he was a part of the broadcasting group. And they've been looking for other people to kind of help the cause. So they agreed to go down and go to the, wherever this meeting place is. Of course, walking the streets with their guns fucking brandished. Like, honestly, you need to act more normal, right? Like, act like you are you know what's going on, but you don't know what's going on. Like, you're still okay with everything. If you get pulled over by the police or something, they're probably most likely going to be these fucking alien things, right? And you're wearing sunglasses at night. So that's not fucking conspicuous or anything. So, of course, they make it to Vato Man here is watching the door uh, and lets them inside. Once inside, they meet with Gilbert. And they get to learn a little more of what's going on. And we do as well as we listen to a broadcast that's going on in the background that's a lot more in-depth than the very first one or even the second one that we saw
3: you have any trouble getting here?
0: No, we made it fine.
3: Uh, good. Well, the city's crawling with cops looking for us. And Most of the cops are human. They've been told that we're commies trying to bring down the government. And some of them are being recruited. Creatures are trading wealth, power. You mean people are joining up with them? Most of us just sell out right away. Then all of a sudden we get promoted. Our bank accounts get bigger. We start buying new houses, cars. Perfect, isn't it? We'll do anything to be rich. Look around at the environment we live in. Carbon dioxide, fluorocarbons, and methane have increased since 1958. Earth is being acclimatized. They are turning our atmosphere into their atmosphere. What do these their things want, and why are they here? It's in their best interests. They're free enterprisers. The Earth is just another developing planet. They, Their third us. world. We are like a natural. To them. Deplete the planet, move on to another. They want benign indifference. They want us drugged. We could be pets.
0: We could be food.
3: But all we really are is livestock.
0: So we learn a little more about what these people want. And honestly, again, Matrix, right? If they are like livestock or food. But basically, they give People that want to work with them, what exactly they need. All the money, all the land, all whatever it is to make them happy. Basically, just to sell out their own kind. Now, they all get together and they explain, hey, yeah, just like I said before, they need to act more normal so they can get more people to join their cause. They're also given a pair of contacts. Now, the contacts allow them to see just as the sunglasses done uh, during most of the film... But instead, they don't have to wear the sunglasses anymore. Great. That's a wonderful fucking idea. Why does it still have to see in fucking black and white? Right? This is the problem. Like, one of the things I wanted to get back to. Which is, why do the contacts, when you wear them, why do you see in black and white? Couldn't they have updated the fucking, like, technology that they've built to just allow them to be clear fucking lenses that would let you see the fucking monsters and everything else for what it is. But in fucking color, it has to be in black and white. Like, it makes sense, at least somewhat, with the sunglasses. Sunglasses, you see in tints, right? Either it's sepia tone or a darker kind of area or whatever. And some of them do allow you to have a little bit of clarity in it. And you can still tell what colors everything is, but instead with this, you see black and white, okay, I I can get it with the sunglasses, but the contacts, really, that's what you're gonna do, everything's, so now for the rest of your life, even though you're going to be open, right, and you're gonna be able to see everything, you can't see anything in color, that fucking sucks, because there's a lot of really cool things in color, TV, I guess you wouldn't watch TV anymore because TV's been brainwashing you, right? Uh, Nudie magazines, okay? Like, you couldn't tell if somebody had a Red Bush, Black Bush, White Bush, Blue Bush, One Bush, Two Bush, Three Bush... For bush you know you basically couldn't tell what was going on you could tell multiples all right but you couldn't necessarily tell what the colors of everything you wouldn't know if she was a redhead or she was a blonde uh you you could definitely tell if she was dark skin toned or if she was light skin toned you know but is this an albino or is this just an african-american chick or or what the hell is going on you you wouldn't want to live your life like that cuz would drive you fucking batty. But anyway, I digress. So, they have their meeting explaining that they need to get more people when they're raided by uh the alien people. And this is not before uh Sam sees Holly who appears at the fucking meeting for some reason and basically he forgives her For the most part, without necessarily saying it... For pushing him out the goddamn window. Okay? So, aliens invade. They also learn about the watches too. I should explain that. They learn that the watches are teleporters... But they just haven't figured out how to make the teleporters work for them. So, Frank is given one. And everybody comes in and they raid the place... And they start shooting up everybody. Uh, Sam and Frank, they get caught in the back of a hallway... Uh, where he's Frank's trying to figure out what to do with the stupid watch, to where he drops it on the ground and it opens up a hole for because it's malfunctioning. Uh, Sam tells Frank, Get in the fucking hole. Frank gets in the fucking hole, and they both get transported to some underground location and they have no idea what is going on. So they decide to look around, and that's when they come upon the ballroom filled with both human and alien alike and you get to learn more about what the agenda is
2: our projections show that by the year 2025 not only america but the entire planet will be under the protection and the dominion of this power alliance the gains have been substantial both for ourselves and for you the human power elite (laughs) have given us entree to the resources we need in our ongoing quest for multidimensional expansion and in return the per capita income of each of you here tonight has grown and this year alone by an average 39% and i've just received word that our forces have won a major victory The underground terrorist network has been destroyed here on the west coast. We are off crisis alert. The situation is normal again.
4: How you doing, boys? I didn't know you'd been recruited. Welcome aboard.
2: Earth is our stepping stone. You
4: know, you boys really should have dressed for the party. Now you can afford it. I got to tell you, I sure am proud to be here. You seen the whole place? I
1: haven't had a chance to yet.
0: Come on,
4: I'll show you around.
0: So, do you recognize that voice? Why, he's the one that told the TV screen to blow out their fucking ass in the beginning. And that's the drifter. Okay, you find out here that he has betrayed the whole community. He's probably the one that brought the bulldozer down. Because he, I guess, is the one that's not super cool to the homeless okay, he didn't want to be anymore, I totally understand, and there's that, like, fucking Matrix, fucking, like, connection again, god fucking damn it, he's just like, what's his name's character, uh, I always want to say Joey Pepitone, but I just know, Pantleone, Pantsleone, or whatever the fuck his name is, but you know who I'm talking about, uh, that character where he turns in everybody and turns everybody in to basically go back into the Matrix and to just live a dumb fucking life. Where this guy, he wanted the money so bad, right? That he just gave everything in and he signed up for their services and now has the money to live the fucking life that he wants. You can't be totally mad at him just for the reason why. Well, I guess you can be fucking mad at him because he's betraying the human fucking race. And, of course, the two of them, they're not going to let on that they know exactly what's going on. But one of my big gripes from earlier is that the fact that this guy doesn't have a name. He's just known as fucking Drifter. Like, I really wish... And, honestly, it's the same thing with fucking uh, Sam here. He doesn't have a real name. I am keep calling him Sam Hell or Sam... Uh, because his name is like John Nada, but really he doesn't get addressed by anything, so I don't want to call him fucking Piper for the rest of the movie. But when he gets, this drifter guy gets revealed, it would have been nice if he had been introduced and maybe had more of a character name rather than being guy on the sofa fucking watching TV number one. It's just kind of crappy writing to just like, okay, well, he's not really totally integral to the story, but he's totally integral to the ending of the story. It's like, come on, guys. Are you fucking kidding me? Let's just... uh. Anyway, so they follow him down the hallway while he tries to give them a tour of what's going on. He shows them how the alien beings transport from Earth and back through some type of interdimensional jump thing that's going on. Uh, He takes him to the studio at the request of both Sam and Frank See Sam is kind of trim putting two and two together finds out that it's in studio 54. Oh, I get it Uh, And needs to know where the goddamn Satellite feed is to which he tells him that it's up on top
1: Where's that signal? It's up on the roof, I think holly works in there if she made it maybe we can find her then we can go to the roof and break that signal man
3: wait
4: boys wait you're making a big mistake you made the mistake no no you gotta listen to me i thought you boys understood it's business that's all it is
2: you still don't get it do you boys there ain't no countries anymore no more good guys they're running the whole show they own everything the whole goddamn planet they can do whatever they want what's wrong with having a good for a change Now they're gonna let us have a good if we just help them they're
4: gonna leave us alone let's make some money you can have a little taste of that good life too now i know you want it hell everybody does you do it to your
3: own kind
0: what's the threat we all sell out every day
3: might as well be on the winning team
0: okay i can't argue with him at that point I mean, if I was going to sell out, I'd want to sell out for what's going to probably give me the money. Isn't that the point of fucking selling out? Well, they are interrupted by some of the alien guys busting in. And we get to see the fakest fucking grenade ever after the drifter guy here. fucking stupid fucking name. Uh, escapes with the use of his watch. So, once he gets away, in come guys, they... <laughs> Frank throws the grenade down the hallway, oh my god, it is bad, I mean, I know it's a prop grenade and blah blah, but really, it's like the grenades that you buy for your little kids, right, to play with, it doesn't really do anything, maybe it's for a water balloon, you put it inside and then it pops at some point, but it's just, like, it's fucking weirdly plastic painted It looks like it's painted horribly, too. Like, how do you mispaint just a fucking grenade? It's supposed to be just fucking straight jet black, and yet it looks like shit. Okay? So, they get away. They go down uh, into the studio and eventually uh, start making their way up to the top floors. And they run into Holly, randomly on one of the floors, and take her with them. So, before they're able to get to the top, they see the stairs... Uh, Sam goes on ahead, and as Frank goes in front of Holly, she pulls out a gun and blows his fucking... No! He had a family! He had a wife and two kids! Didn't you know that? Why would you kill him? No, Frank, your wife, your two kids, why are they dead? No! No! Okay, so we get back up to the top. Wait, that means that she's bad. Has she been bad the whole time? Was she the reason why they got raided over there at the other place? Guess what? Never gonna fucking know until we get to the top and we see Frank looking out at the big satellite dish that's transmitting the signal. And of course, he can see it because he has the contact, so he knows that that's the source of it. Holly comes out, holds a gun up to him, and then a helicopter pulls up and also trains guns on him and tells him to get down. She says, you could just join me. Like, you know, every worthless fucking character. Really, this isn't a revelation. We're supposed to, like, care or be surprised that she's a double agent. Like, that all of a sudden she's on the bad guy's side because he kidnapped her. We only saw her for a second. Then she showed up at the meeting. Was kind of sorry that she tried to kill him, but not really enough to be convincing. And then totally disappeared, only to randomly show up at this point to fucking pull a gun on him. And we're supposed to be like, oh my god, she was a bad guy the whole time. We don't have any time. There's no fucking character arc for her. Useless fucking character. He could have just gone through the place. He could have just stolen somebody's car and escaped on his own and crashed it somewhere but managed to get away. Frank is his BFF. Frank and him could have gotten to a firefight in the hallway. And Frank said, no, go on ahead. Make sure you destroy that satellite dish. I'll back you up and then gets killed while in a firefight, not had his brains blowed out surprisingly by a character we don't give a shit about and then go upstairs and then frank goes and he tries to save the day well not frank i should say sam tries to go and save the day and just like it does in the movie where he shoots her because he's got a hidden gun he could still have his gun and the helicopter pop up and be like hey stop and then like he does it he shoots and he blows up the thing but he gets killed by the guys in the helicopter right, but still manages to save the day. There, I've written the whole thing for you, Mr. Carpenter, where you don't have to have Holly in this fucking movie because she's a worthless fucking character and the way the actress portrayed her was fucking bullshit. Okay, I'm done. Uh, So, of course, the last thing that Roddy Piper does, that Sam does, is flip off the helicopter like a motherfucking G- Uh, right before he dies, thus seeing it all blow up, sacrificing his life for the good of the people, and then we get the ending of the film where the signal has gone down, and you realize that everybody can see all the bullshit that has been placed in front of our eyes has now gone away, and we see society and advertising and people for exactly what they are, and then we get our end theme, which is different than most of the music that you've heard so far. So I'm going to play the whole little scene because I think some of the stuff that's going on is pretty fucking funny. Though it is a very good visual scene for you to see as well if you haven't seen it. So, here we go. Everything that happens at the end of the movie. The Oscar winners give a press conference and how to buy a sailboat as Gloria, like, like on.
3: shit! I'm What happened? What's wrong? All the sex and violence on the screen has gone too far for me. I'm fed up with it. Filmmakers like George Romero and John Carpenter have to show some restraint. They're simply... You're (laughs) filled with lightning when you hit the road. You're feeling that v 6 power as you take control. Nothing can suck you down. You're moving on.
4: Hey, what's wrong, baby?
0: Now, there are two things that are really kind of cool that you get at the end of the movie. And yes, one of them, of course, is nudity because the last scene that you get before the end is a chick having sex with her man who happens to be an alien. And then she notices that he is, and that's when he says, What? But the other Easter egg is the Siskel and Ebert reference. See, when they flip over to the TV and guys watching it up there, it's Siskel and Ebert talking, well mostly Siskel, talking shit about John Carpenter and George Romero. And it's fucking hilarious and fantastic because they never really liked some of the films that they had done, and this is just a dig at them. So you you have this film, and I fucking love it, okay? I still do. I think it's hilarious. I think it's very entertaining. I think the one-liners are great. There's a couple little things. Again, Holly, get her the fuck out of this movie. It, just pointless. Absolutely pointless. The drifter thing. Give him a name. Give him. If he's going to have this revelation in the end that he's going to introduce you to selling them out, what point did he sell them out? Make him a big character. Why are they so worried about him rather than just letting him go and not having to fucking worry about him again? You could do a lot of things with the character that you, maybe by getting rid of Holly, could have been a bigger part of the movie. But honestly, it's just, it's a good film. Uh, It is terrible though. The acting is terrible. Keith David is probably the best actor in this movie. No, strike that. It's actually the Street Preacher. He is the best fucking actor in this movie. I fucking love him. Even though he's not my f- number one character in the movie. And that, of course, love belongs to Roddy Roddy Piper. The way that he delivers the one-liners, it's terrible. It's great at the same time. I wish that the chew bubblegum line, I'm here to kick ass and chew bubblegum. Like, I kind of grew up on the delivery that Duke Nukem did it. So when I heard it here for the first time... It was weird to me, it's not done right, it's not, it's so paused and stuttered, but it's the original version of the goddamn line, right? And it's still fucking great, even in the context. I love the whole, like, th- this movie is a conspiracy theorist's wet fucking dream, okay? From the fact that there are things in society that are being hidden from us, that all the commercialism that we uh, are being forced to uh, is there just to get us to buy things, to want to be famous, to, um, you know, just marry and procreate. Maybe we're not designed to do that as a society. There's a lot of really cool commentary in this film, but it truly is a conspiracy theorist wet fucking dream. Uh, and, you know, i'm not saying that conspiracy theorists are necessarily bad because yeah of course you always want to question whatever the fuck you hear but at the same time it's just like i could imagine when this film came out and maybe the cult status that it got was because of the messages that were there and they still are very apropos to the time that we live in now uh it's all over the place but it's just in different forms you know with you know you say creation of the internet and all the blah, blah blah, and sometimes it's a little bit too much, and maybe we push that upon our own agenda too much, but it still does say something that a film with a message like this uh, really holds up if you apply it to the time that we're in, uh, and I think that's fantastic. It's one of the reasons why I think that this film could easily be remade. Uh, the little bonus episode that was done uh, earlier on, I kind of hinted at it, but really, I think that, you know, I'm not a big fan of seeing things remade and for generation, but this is one of those films, even though I think it's as good as it is right now, it could go in a different direction, especially with the climate of of everything and the way society has bended with social media. You could throw in that aspect to the film as well, and again, I think The Rock would be perfect to take over Roddy Roddy Piper's role. Because if you look at it, especially during this time frame, Piper was really poised to be the Rock of that generation. It fails with fucking Hulk Hogan. Fuck his movies. uh, No Holds Barred. Oh my god. Piece of shit. The only thing that's great about that movie is, what's that smell? Dookie? Dookie? That's the best part of that fucking movie. I I don't care. It's my opinion. Uh, But honestly, that Mr. Nanny, you're going to tell me that's a great fucking film. Uh, Where Piper has done some great films. I, I mean, it's not just... He's mostly known for They Live. But he was making movies all the way up almost until his death. I think he made a movie that came out after his death that he made before he died. And it's great to see him be to be able to do something like that and i really wish he had been able to take off and be the rock of his generation uh who kind of is the schwarzenegger of our generation right now right and i know at that time schwarzenegger was really kind of starting to come into his own and starting to get more of the films and the bigger roles and you know he had been around but in terms of taking a wrestler and actually giving him a acting career this film i think is probably a good example of how to do it right when he is overacting he is a little bit too much but he's very subdued for most of the film and he's not this over the top type of action caricature uh, that maybe they wanted him to be, especially when you look at Hell Comes to Frogtown, which is a very good example, where he was way over the top and way too much of like his wrestling persona than he was in this film. Though there were times where he became that. I really wish that this film had more than just a cult status, and with a lot of the people that are growing up that are around my age, it probably really isn't anymore, right? It's more in the pop culture than anything else. Though I'm sure there are a lot of people that have never seen this before. They've wanted to see it, but they just didn't necessarily either have the time with everything that's available out there, or just really never sat down and decided, hey, this is the day I'm going to do it. My recommendation is, yes, please see this movie. Because as ridiculous as it is, and things that I gripe about, and, you know, some of these gripes are a little far-fetched, it truly is a great fucking film. Uh, Like I said, from the the commentary, the social commentary, to the one-liners, to even the action scenes, even though they're very little, but that fight scene is fucking fantastic, okay? It is five minutes of them just duking it out. And even the destruction of the shantytown where the bulldozers coming in and it's all bulldoze the shanty town knock it all down you know it's 5 minutes of pure destruction and these people just running away there's lots of big t- moments in this movie where some of the destruction and action goes on for maybe a little bit too long but it's made up uh well with the dialogue that is very entertaining, uh, as well as characters that you really do like, except for fucking Holly. She can go off and fucking die and never ever show up in this film ever again. Um, so, the, the main thing I want to say is, please watch it uh, for yourself if you've never seen it. Uh, the recommendation, of course, is yes, do so. Uh, it is available on, I found out, HBO Go. So, if you have an HBO Go or Now subscription, you have the ability to watch this uh, whenever the fuck you want right now. And that's the perfect opportunity to do it. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to do anything special. You can watch it directly there if you have access to it. So, overall, what do I rate the film? Well, in terms of gore, it's like a two out of five. There's a couple of blood splatters when the guys get shot but it's in black and white so you don't really know so whole lot not like limbs flying off i mean maybe it could be a little lower but i think that a two out of five is a pretty good recommendation or a rating i should say for the gore the crap factor it's a four out of five it's got some the makeup for the alien bodies the weird skull things you can tell that they're really crappy masks i understand the budget wasn't very high on this film in fact, the budget for the film overall was a paltry $3 million. Maybe pretty good for back in 1988, but, you know, if you were to translate that into nowadays standards, it'd probably be like a $10 million budget, which is very low, and probably most horror that is not widely distributed uh, is not within that range. It did have a box office of $13 million, uh And like I said, it did real well at its release. It was number one in the box office. Uh, So you can kind of understand where, with the money that they have, that some of the makeup wasn't going to be very good. So it is a four out of five on the crap factor scale. Uh, And that also goes with the acting. and And honestly, I think I'm throwing the Holly character uh, as part of that, uh, and also the whole thing with just being lazy and not naming the drifter, if he's gonna have a big revelation at the end of the movie, that he's sold out the humans for rock and roll. I mean, money and sex and drugs and all that fun stuff. Uh, the fun factor, it is a four out of five. It is a very fun movie. Sometimes it feels like it drags a little bit, especially a little more towards the end, uh but overall the one-liners are fucking great i love seeing keith david in movies uh You know, and he does a great job in the film. The Preacher is fantastic. I think he, like I said, I think he's the best acted character out of everything that was in here. The fight scene, it's funny. It goes on for too long. It is like a joke where it starts out funny, stops funny, and then gets funny again. When it starts up, especially when Keith David comes in and fucking just starts wailing on uh, poor Rotted Rotted Piper's balls. Uh, and I mean wailing the fuck on them. Again, you should watch The South Park, and if you can find the comparison or the side-by-side version of it, uh, watch it, because it's fucking fantastic. Uh, and then, uh, overall, uh, the film is, a uh, 4 out of 5 Pigs in Perfume. Is it perfect? No. Is it terrible? Yes, it is. In my opinion, it is a terrible film. But it's so terrible, it's fantastic. And I fucking love this movie. And it's again, it's one of those ones that I believe that everybody should go out there and uh, take a chance and actually watch the film. So what are we doing uh, for the next episode? Well, we're going into June. And June is going to be sci-fi month i'm finally fucking doing it so uh we're going to watch a film uh and these are going to be sci. they're not necessarily going to be sci-fi horror films uh they're going to be sci-fi films and they're going to be terrible sci-fi films and i believe for the first one uh we have a winner with a movie called well i'll tell you at the end
3: On the edge of our galaxy, there is a battleground where alien warriors compete for the ultimate prize.
1: I am champion.
3: Will a human do battle in the arena? Now, where is the challenger? Where humans have lost. You ever thought about the arena, Steve? It ain't gonna work. This guy's a human. What it takes to win. You're talking about arena fighting. It's not for me.
1: They're calling for you.
3: You've got speed, you got muscle. You could go right to the top. You're going to work for me. Nobody tells me what to do. Someone tried to poison him. Sorry, kid, but I'm afraid your
1: fighting days are over.
3: <laughs> He's not going to get away with this. The fight is between me and Rogor. You can win this fight. He won't beat <laughs>
1: Now we kill him. Arena.
0: Now, this film is one of those Italian USA productions and was released back in 1989 and actually recently got a Blu ray release. So, if you can find it on Blu ray, that's fantastic. Uh, I'd almost want to watch it that way. Uh, But it is available, you can find it on YouTube, and you can also find it on a lot of the streaming services. Whether or not you're going to be able to find it without renting it uh, is up to you. But it's out there, I definitely do suggest watching it before you listen to the podcast. Since June, uh the way the schedule is working out, there'll be three releases of sci-fi movies for the month of June. So you'll get the first uh in June of 2017. Uh it'll be a first on third, which is Arena. And then we've got two other ones that you know I'll announce at the end of the other podcast. Yada yada yada, you know how everything goes. Uh I hope you guys enjoyed the bonus episode that was recently released at the time of this podcast. And I had a lot of fun talking remakes with Phantom Dark Dave. Uh, who also, as I explained at the beginning of that one, is now an adventure of his own film company that he's spending his long days of filming movies, which is fantastic, and I wish him uh, the best of luck, him and his wife and his partner. No, not partner in that way, partner in the film thing, okay? Get your fucking sick minds out of the gutter. Or if you didn't have them in the gutter and I made them go to the gutter, get the fuck out of the gutter once again. As always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter, T underscore, T underscore podcast. You can email us, TerribleTerrorPodcast at com if you have any suggestions or want to reach out and complain to us for things that we might not have did or uh it's definitely for sci-fi month for as of this episode i have one idea that i want to do it's for me and it is sci-fi horror and again it's something that people may not think is terrible but it's a movie i want to do for me uh and i want to talk about it and then the other one i don't really know still as of the recording of this podcast so if you have an idea of a sci-fi movie not necessarily something like the turkish star wars i really don't want to go that far and have to sit through that type of uh dread but if there's a fun sci-fi movie that's not necessarily horror um, that hasn't been done by something like Mystery Science Theater three thousand, you think I should look at? Uh, you know, send it my way either through the Facebook page, facebook.com slash terrible terror podcast, or you can even DM me on Instagram, and that's at terrible terror podcast. Uh, and of course, like I said, it with email terrible terror podcast at gmail dot com. If I forgot to say it, I, well, now I've said it twice. So I appreciate, again, everybody that listens to the episodes, everybody that gives us uh, rights, rates, reviews. Uh, Of course, you know, you can rate us on iTunes. Well, I guess now it's Apple Podcasts, uh, as well as Stitcher and Google Play and Blueberry and all those fun different things that you can. Spreaker, of course. So... Anything, you know, again, on Apple Podcasts, if you guys leave us a review or or star rating, even if you give me a one star, fucking tell me why. Uh, I appreciate the reviews. Uh, I appreciate the ratings, you know. And, again, I really do appreciate everybody for listening, too, because this is something that I do for fun, and I really enjoy talking at people about movies. And it's something that uh, I hope to continue doing well into the future. So, Uh, with that note, watch arena. It will come out on June 3rd, which is in 2017. Uh, that will be the next movie for the podcast. So everybody, uh, take care of yourselves out there and I'll talk to you soon.